Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Saturday, September 21st is a historic moment for members of the LGBT community in Utah. It's the first Provo Pride Festival. Utah has held an annual three-day-long Pride Festival in Salt Lake City. There's a newer one in Moab. This will be the first one for Provo. And uh, we're going to be talking about living as an LGBT person in conservative Utah County and indeed in Utah. This Saturday, Mormons Building Bridges is teaming up with the organization Out of the Darkness to hold a suicide prevention walk in Salt Lake City. According to David Pate, president of Provo Pride, 30% of all teen suicides are committed by LGBT youth, and 40% of homeless youth are LGBT. We'll talk about living as a gay, bisexual, transgendered person in Utah and about suicide among the LGBT community. The program follows the news. From NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. It's been 12 years since hijackers took over four planes and crashed them into the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and a field in Pennsylvania. Memorial services are underway at each site. President Obama visited the Pentagon today to honor the families of the victims. What the heart has once owned and had, it shall never lose. What your families lost in the temporal, in the here and now, is now eternal. The pride that you carry in your hearts, the love that will never die. In New York City, people have gathered to read the names of victims from the World Trade Center. Terrence Edward Adderley Jr. Sophia B. Otto. In Shanksville, Pennsylvania, bells were rung and the names of passengers and crew members from hijacked Flight 93 were also read aloud. President Obama says he wants to give diplomacy a chance in Syria while keeping the use of military force as a fallback. NPR's Giles Snyder reports the president is conditionally endorsing a Russian plan to have Syria's chemical weapons seized and destroyed. President Obama has asked Congress to put off a vote on his request to authorize the use of military force. And even though lawmakers have expressed skepticism over Russia's plan to place Syria's chemical weapons under international control, many say diplomacy should be allowed to run its course. Senate Armed Services Committee Chairman Carl Levin says events would not be where they are now if not for the threat of military strikes. The only reason I believe you've heard Russia and Syria talk as they have in the last 24 hours is because because of the vote in the Foreign Relations Committee and because of the decision of the president. Levin is reported to be among a group of lawmakers working on a revised resolution that would take into account the Russian proposal. Giles Snyder, NPR News, Washington. Voters in New York City gave Bill de Blasio a resounding victory in the city's Democratic mayoral primary, but it's not clear if he'll avoid a runoff, as NPR's Joel Rose reports. Public advocate Bill de Blasio promised to fight income inequality and racial profiling. That liberal message seemed to resonate with primary voters. De Blasio appeared to win just over 40 percent of the vote, enough to avoid a runoff election in three weeks against second-place finisher Bill Thompson. But it may be days before all the paper ballots are counted. The Democratic nominee will face Republican Joe Loda. The former transit chief won the GOP nomination easily. And New York voters rejected two political comeback attempts— Former Congressman Anthony Weiner finished a distant fifth among Democratic candidates for mayor, while former Governor Elliot Spitzer lost a closely fought race for city controller against Manhattan Borough President Scott Stringer. Joel Rose, NPR News, New York. On Wall Street, the Dow Jones Industrials are up 41 points at 15,232. You're listening to NPR. Support for NPR comes from NPR member stations and from Joyce B. Hale, in the interest of engaging an informed and civil electorate. With your Utah News during the 9 o'clock hour, I'm Carrie Bringhurst. Members of the Logan City Municipal Council have appointed Jeannie Simmons to an interim appointment to a vacated council seat. Logan City Council member Holly Dane says Simmons was among 17 Logan residents who applied for the appointment to replace Tom Jensen. Jensen announced earlier this month that he is moving to the country of Jordan to work at a university there. Simmons will hold the seat until January of 2016. 
A study from the University of Utah shows people drive more on days when bad air quality alerts are issued, even though the system was created to limit use of cars. Study author Harvey Miller says 10 years of state traffic data shows more cars going up mountain canyons on days in which state officials issue bad air alerts. He believes people are escaping the murky air for the clean air of the nearby Wasatch Mountains. And another report, census data shows Utah has the fifth highest rate of marriages between U.S.-born and foreign-born people. The Utah ranking leaves us only behind Hawaii, Nevada, California, and Florida. Figures show the state has 34,000 of these types of married couples, 10.5% of all marriages, and that's well above the national average. University of Utah economist Pam Perlick says the state's large group of long-settled Latinos may explain the ranking with new immigrants marrying second- and third-generation immigrants. Perlick says the prevalence of returned Mormon missionaries may also be a factor. Missionaries may be more likely to marry foreign-born spouses because of their familiarity with foreign languages and cultures. That's Utah News. I'm Carrie Bringhurst. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan, now open Monday through Saturday until 2 with a changing menu of specialty salads, French breakfast pastries with local seasonal fruits, and lunch sandwiches. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Saturday, September 1st, uh, 21st, rather, will mark a historic moment for members of the LGBT community in Utah. It's the first Provo Pride Festival. Utah has an annual three-day-long Pride Festival in Salt Lake City, started in 1983. According to organizers, it's a little more than a picnic. It's uh, evolved into attendance well over 20,000 people. Uh, LGBT community is uh, in Utah is growing, and uh, there is a Pride Festival in Moab, now in Provo. And if Utah County is in line with national statistics, there are likely between 25,000 and 50,000 people who identify as LGBT in that county. Also, this Saturday, Mormons Building Bridges is teaming with the organization Out of the Darkness to hold a suicide prevention walk in Salt Lake City. According to David Pate, president of the Provo Pride Council, uh, 30% of all teen suicides are committed by LGBT youth. 40% of homeless youth are LGBT. We're going to be talking about living as a gay, bisexual, or transgendered person in a traditionally conservative area. Utah County is certainly that, and Utah as a whole, and about suicide among LGBT community. And uh, we hope joining us later in the program, David Pate with the Provo Pride, Rebecca Taylor, Utah resident who identifies as transgender and a bisexual BYU student who will be using the pseudonym of Rachel Smith. We're trying to reach them now. Joining us in studio is Dory Burt, member of Mormons Building Bridges. Welcome back to the program. Thank you. Uh, I'm opening the phone lines right now. You can uh, join us with your comment at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. Uh, or you can join us by email at upraxis at gmail.com. For your participation in the program today, just a call with a comment or a question, and we have a pair of tickets to the Aspen Santa Fe Ballet in Logan tonight. Uh, so uh, you'll have to be in the Logan area. You have to come by and pick those up. But we do have a pair of tickets for you for t- your participation today. The number is 1-800-826-1495 or upraxis at gmail.com. Dory Burt, um, I hadn't been familiar with this organization, Out of the Darkness. Tell us about the organization. I will. I'll tell you as much as I can, and it's new to me as well. Um, it is Out of the Darkness There are out-of-the-darkness walks held throughout the United States, perhaps even internationally. I don't know about that, but I know throughout the United States. And their sole purpose is to um, raise money and awareness about suicide. And the proceeds um, in all the walks that happen throughout the nation, 50% of the funds raised stay within the state they're raised and 50% are used nationally. And those funds are used to help with uh, suicide intervention and prevention specifically and mainly in our schools. And there are, there are crisis, there's crisis intervention as well. And um, we found Mormons building bridges. uh, We have someone on our steering committee who walked in out of the darkness walk 
last year just she does a lot of walking and and a lot of those you know causes the different walks for a purpose and oh a few months ago, um, one of the one of the main focuses of Mormons Building Bridges is to try to stem the tide and to be focused on LGBT suicides and depression, specifically within the youth, um, and look for ways to do that. And we were talking about a, a suicide had happened at one of the high schools, and it was very well known within the LGBT community that this person that there was an LGBT component to it to this boy's suicide however the family wasn't acknowledging it and and so we talked about what can we do because a lot of times there's a point of denial and yet um being upfront and being honest and open is one of the things that lessens depression and suicide. And so we, as kind of the leadership of Mormons Building Bridges, started looking into ways to support an an already in place suicide prevention effort. And we came across this out of the darkness walk and just thought it was a perfect fit for us. Uh, Tell us uh, more about the walk. When's it happening? It's in Salt Lake. It is. It is in Salt Lake. Um, It is um, at uh, 1045. And it is at um, Sugar House Park, and people can come. We There are different teams set up already. We have a Mormons Building Bridges team, but anybody can come and just walk, sign up. Um, you don't have to contribute money to walk. You can just go and, and show your support. There's a re- registration table there, and people will be given a, a beaded necklace to re- in, and they're color-coded, from what I understand, to represent who you're walking for. A friend, just anybody in general, a mother, a father, a brother, sister, they all have different different colors. So I imagine it'll be very profound looking around and seeing, you know, the people that other people are walking for, people that they've loved and lost. Mm-hmm. So again, tell us the time. Uh, 10.45. 10.45. Yes. Yeah. Uh, in the evening? Oh, I'm sorry. 1045 in the morning. In the morning. In the morning. Yes. Because I do know that Out of the Darkness does have overnight walks. Yes, they do have um, those. And we're we'll we'll start with the daytime one our first time. (laughs) Uh, In the United States, I'm I'm at the uh, Out of the Darkness website. A person dies by suicide every 13.7 minutes, claiming more than 38,000 lives each year. It's estimated that an attempt is made every minute with close to 1 million people attempting suicide annually. And uh, they they are saying that suicide is a national health problem. So you're bringing it to Utah, and specifically Mormons building bridges. You're interested in uh, suicide among the LGBT community. Yes, and and also focus on um, within the Mormon community as well. There's um, I I was asking the the Utah chairperson, and and she was telling me that this is the first time a Mormon group, as Mormons, of course, Mormon people have walked, it's Utah, but a group of Mormons as Mormons has walked in this. And so we feel pretty happy about that, because um, death is never fun. But when a family member has someone in there that they love who, who has died by suicide, there's an element of sometimes shame put on them by people, by themselves. And that can just be really, really horrible for the family and for the healing. Mm. Uh, And so you're saying there, in some cases, let's take a Mormon family. Sure. um, LGBT youth in the family, there can be an element of denial. Yes. Yes. And and interestingly, um, that same element of denial or trying to say that someone is not gay in your family or rejecting behaviors, according to the Family Acceptance Project and Dr. Caitlin, um, um, oh, I just lost her last name all of a sudden. Um, I just went blank. Dr. Robert Reese and Caitlin Ryan. Oh, my gosh, that's horrible. I just did that. Um, a youth who has highly um, a lot of... They're, they're eight times as likely to attempt suicide if they are come from highly rejecting families and, and rejecting behaviors. And so we have that already. And so if someone has 
committed suicide, of course, there are so many variables. But the likelihood is that that they have been in highly rejecting circumstances, family, friends, peers, congregation. And then there is that element of, of rejection or denial within the family as well. And it can just be really difficult because there there needs to be healing and we need to remember people when they when they pass on and but more than that we need to do what we can to prevent that from happening mm-hmm. that the statistics you mentioned are just you know a lot of those can be helped by the way we speak by the way we behave by the way we reach out to people who are struggling now there's you know there's a question of belief you might call it doctrine theology mm-hmm Conservative churches like the LDS Church, or it looks like they're not not going to be moving on that. Can you separate that out with from acceptance, from from reaching out, and where's where's the line there? Well, to me, there shouldn't be a line there. I mean, if we're truly Christians, we're reaching out. If we really believe that we are families forever, we are families, and we take care and we love all of our members of our family. So that, you know, in the Mormon belief, that that carries out out into the eternities. And so if we reject or we pretend that one person is not in our family or they're not in our family the way they are, we wish they were different and we want we want them to be different. Well, then we're not really, you know, um, encouraging the concept of an eternal family and eternal love. And so I think it's I think it's very within my religion to be accepting and to be loving of all people in our families, LGBT or not. What are you seeing? What are you hearing in, in congregations that uh, that you wish wasn't happening? What, what do you suggest uh, the changes be made in terms of, uh, you know, when LGBT people come to, a, say, a Mormon congregation? Oh, that's, that's a great question. I, I think... I'll base my answer on things I've heard from other people um, when they have gone to church and when they have a loved one who is LGBT. Um, I, I think there's the concept that that being gay is a choice and that people who are can just choose to not be. And so by choosing to be, they've kind of made made their own bed. And, you know, if if people don't like them and if all these things happen, well, so be it. But and that has been kind of reinforced culturally, but within my religion, within um, my leaders, my church leaders have recently re- released and um, a website mormonsandgays.org, where church leaders flat out say we don't believe this is a choice. This is and and we should be as a religion at the forefront of treating our our gay brothers and sisters with kindness and with acceptance and not shunning them from our families and from our church. So, so the the thing is that that website is kind of buried. A lot of people don't know it exists. Um, I was really thrilled. My congregation, um, I sent a quick email to my leadership and asked them if they would put that website in the program for a few weeks. And they did. They ran it for a few weeks. And I have received a few comments from people who went to it and didn't know that they just, you know, when you when you um, base your beliefs or your thoughts on just what someone says from the pulpit or someone says from, um, you know, while sitting in a class rather than than what the true beliefs are based on Christ-like doctrine, then you can get kind of confused. And so this is a great source. That, that So that is one thing that I wish would change. I wish more members of my church, specifically the leadership um, in congregations, would promote that website so that the the congregants know. And they don't say things like, well, you know, so-and-so when he chose to be gay, because if, if there is a mother or a father or a brother or a sister of someone— that just cuts to their core sitting in class. Mm. Um, there are others, but do you need to go move on? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll uh, loop back to this. You bet. Uh, we're talking with Dory Burt, a member of Mormons Building Bridges. Uh, that organization is teaming with the organization Out of the Dark uh, for a, a suicide prevention walk. That'll be happening in Salt Lake City 
on uh, Saturday morning, you said at 1045. Yes. Be meeting. And on September 21st, a week later, a historic moment for members of the LGBT community in Utah, and specifically Utah County, it's the first Provo Pride Festival. There's a recently formed uh, Provo Pride Council, and we have with us uh, David Pate, who is uh, has been elected president of that uh, council. Uh, so, David Pate, uh, I, I believe we have you on the line. Uh, Bennett, I believe we get our producer to uh, to uh, fade him up. I think he's getting the next person on on the line. Um, According to national statistics, if uh, those hold, Utah County uh, should have twenty-five to 50,000 people identify as LGBT in the county. Uh, the uh, organizers are uh, are hoping for 800 to 1,000 people. Uh, David Pate, do we have you on the line? Uh, yeah, can you hear me? Uh, yes, we can hear you now. Uh, so you're uh, a student at Utah Valley University, is that the case? Yes, I, yes, I am. How did this, uh, the Provo Pride Council come to be? Uh, yeah, the... Um there's an unofficial club at BYU called Understanding Same Gender Attraction, and um, it's it's kind of like a gay-straight alliance that you find in a lot of high schools outside of Utah, um, where students who are LGBTQ um, and and students who aren't meet together and try and come to some kind of understanding about, you know what their lives are like. Um, and so after one of those meetings, there were a group of people, a group of students, and I wasn't one of them, who, uh, who were seated around talking about, about things in general. And one of them mentioned, you know, isn't it about time that, that Provo has its own pride festival? Um, and then uh, they got really excited about it. And uh, everybody they talked to got really excited about it. Um, and one of those people invited me to an organizational meeting. Uh, that was the first organizing meeting to organize the Pride Festival, and there were only four of us there that day, um, uh, but it, it grew and grew from there. Uh, we formed a nonprofit, and we, uh, we started planning a festival. What are, what are your concerns as a, as a council? Why, why, why the festival? What are you trying to address? Um, yeah, I think we're trying to address uh, a lot of the things uh, that your guest from Mormons Building Bridges is trying to address. Um, the national statistics about, um, with regards to LGBTQ youth, are pretty frightening. Um, uh, like you had mentioned, um, 30% of all youth suicides uh, are, are LGBTQ youth, and, and 40% of youth homelessness are uh, LGBTQ youth, and that's unacceptable. They make up less than 10% of that population, uh, and and yet they comprise 30% of that population suicides and 40% of that homelessness. Um, and according to uh, an article in Mother Jones in April, those numbers are higher in Utah than the national average. Why do you think that is? Um, well, if you look at the CDC, um, uh, and I think your other guest, I didn't catch her name, uh, uh, Dory was Burt. referencing those. Mm-hmm. Hmm? Uh, Dory Burt is her name. Yeah. If, if you look at the, uh, uh, some statistics from the CDC, um, LGBTQ youth who experience um, high levels of rejection are eight times more likely uh, to attempt suicide than, than kids uh, who receive little or no rejection because of their uh, because of their sexuality, um, uh, the the difference between um, between um, straight kids who attempt suicide and LGBTQ kids who attempt suicide uh, can be explained simply by their parents rejecting them because of their sexuality, and that's reversible. That can be that can be fixed. That has to be changed. Hmm. Uh, so it, it would mainly be parents that uh, they would have the biggest. Impact, I suppose. In- uh, parents have the biggest impact on their children's lives in in many ways. Hmm. What to what forms have, have you heard stories? Uh, uh, how are you know? How is this rejection? What in what form is it coming? Um, it, it, it comes uh, in in simple ways and 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 and, and more direct ways. Um, uh, well, there was a kid who. Uh, who um, who had 
felt guilty because of uh, of the attractions he was experiencing. He was an adolescent, and uh, went to his bishop and 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 confessed. And his bishop told him to try to be normal. Um, and that's uh, that's that's a an intense form of rejection. Um, but uh, kids. Kids are experiencing so much rejection from their parents and from their community um, that uh, they're they're either being kicked out of their homes or they're feeling so uncomfortable in their homes that they that they leave, mm. um, which explains the homelessness. Um, they're um, also, according to the CDC, they're they're experiencing these rejections in school as well. Um, Eight in ten students have been verbally harassed at school. Four in ten have been physically harassed at school. Six out of ten feel unsafe at school. And one in five have been the victim of a physical assault at school. Hmm. Um, about 80% report hearing um, a slur against um, the LGBTQ community every day in school and the average number of slurs that they hear in a day is 28 and one in three of those come from a member of the faculty or staff hmm. uh, we're talking if you just joined us we're talking about uh, being lgbtq in in utah and uh, there's a Provo Pride Parade. It's the uh, or festival. It's the the first one of its kind in Utah County. The, of course, the ongoing. There's been a uh, Pride Festival in uh, in Salt Lake, and uh, a new one in Provo. This, of course, uh, has hit headlines because uh, Provo is Utah County is one of the most conservative areas in the nation. Uh, David Pate, Utah Valley University student, is president of the uh, Provo Pride Council, organizing this uh, festival. We have with us in studio Dory Burt, who is a member of Mormons Building Bridges. They're teaming with an organization called Out of the Darkness. They're going to hold a suicide prevention walk in Salt Lake City. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, we'll uh, be talking with Rebecca Taylor, Utah resident who identifies as transgender. And uh, we uh, do have a pair of tickets to the Aspen Santa Fe Ballet in uh, Logan tonight at the Ellen Eccles Theater, downtown Logan, uh, for your comment or question uh, with us today. You have to be uh, in Logan. Pick up these tickets if you want to take advantage of this pair of tickets. The number is 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. And you can reach us uh, by email at upraxis at gmail.com. We're asking you, what uh, what do you think about this uh, Pride Festival in Utah County? Uh, what do you think the solution is to this uh, high suicide rate among the LGBT community? Um, and uh, what uh, w- will you be attending the Provo Pride Festival or... Perhaps you're on the other side. Maybe you'd uh, like to express some opposition to this. The number is 1-800-826-1495, or you can uh, reach us at email at upraxis at gmail.com. More following break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is brought to you by our members and the Utah Shakespeare Festival, presenting the regional premiere of Peter and the Starcatcher, with seven other productions through October 2013 in Cedar City, www.bard.org, and by USU Human Resources. The Be Well Moment is made possible by the USU Department of Human Resources Wellness Program at usu.edu hr. We've all heard the old saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. But how many of us actually routinely receive preventive services? Preventive services can include regular physical exams conducted by your primary care physician, blood tests, certain measurements like weight and blood pressure, immunizations, and screening tests to look for signs of cancer or heart disease. All of these services can help your doctor identify common yet potentially serious health concerns early, and early detection means early and hopefully more successful treatment. So how do you know which prevention services you need? The best thing to do is check with your general doctor. He or she should be able to tell you which tests you need and how often you need them, based on your gender, age, and family history. Keeping up with routine health screenings is key to preventing disease and staying healthy. This is Dana Barrett for the Be Well program at Utah State University. Be well, Utah.
Thanks for joining us for Access Utah today. We're talking about uh, being uh, LGBT in Utah, and especially focusing on Utah County today. That's the site of the first-ever Provo Pride Festival. It's planned for September 21st. We're talking with David Pate, who's president of uh, Provo Pride Council. We're also talking with Dory Burt, who is a member of Mormons Building Bridges. Um, that organization's teaming with the organization Out of the Darkness to hold a suicide prevention walk in Salt Lake City. That's this Saturday at uh, 1045 in uh, Salt Lake City. And uh, we're bringing in now Rebecca Taylor, Utah resident who identifies as a transgender. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Glad to be here. And a, a BYU student uh, who, who's bisexual and prefers to go by a pseudonym of Rachel Smith. Welcome to the program. Hello. Uh, let me uh, let me start with Rebecca Taylor. I, I'm quoting from an interesting article in uh, the Provo Daily Herald by Janelle Pugmire. Uh, she starts the article, He was a real Tom Sawyer as a little boy, playing in woods, camping, using toy guns. Also a confusing time for the young boy, who uh, even more so wanted to play with dolls and wear little girl dresses. Rebecca Taylor was born a male. After growing up active in the LDS Church, serving a mission, getting married in the temple, having children, attempting suicide, Taylor came to realization that he was a she. Uh, very interesting story, um, and this all playing out in, in Utah, I, I guess. Is that the case, Rebecca Taylor? Yeah. Where did uh, you grow up? I grew up in Provo. Um, and so at what point did you realize that uh, that you were you were identifying, you were feeling more like a woman? You know, it's it's difficult to say when exactly because growing up, I always, you know, had some, um, you know, those, those thoughts and feelings about wanting to wear dresses and look like the little girls, you know, that I was uh, going to school with and and church with, um, you know. But at the same time, I didn't really, I didn't, you know, as a kid, I didn't really understand what those feelings were. All I knew is that. If if I acted on those feelings with with the other kids my age, uh, or any of the kids for that matter, I'd you know I'd get teased, bullied, whatever. Um, I just knew it wouldn't be good for me. So I I played the part of a boy and uh, had a lot of fun doing it. Um, but I think finally when I reached uh, you know about twelve, thirteen. Um, that's when I really started to have some some health problems, and we at the time we didn't really associate the uh, the health problems with what was going on. But my parents found out that I was cross-dressing. I'd sneak into my sisters' rooms or whatever and borrow their clothes and play dress up when nobody else was around. Um, and I guess at some point my parents found out, and uh, we talked a talked a little bit about it, and they said, "No, you can't do this. You're a boy." And I just remember times in the, you know, specifically times in the shower when I would be praying to God um, to heal me, uh, to to take those feelings away and just make me a normal boy. Uh, it it was uh, it was very stressful at the time. And uh, so you you continued in the LDS Church. Uh, I did. You served a mission, married in the temple, had children. Yeah, I don't want to. You know, I want to tread lightly here, carefully, uh, because I don't have anything bad to to say about the church necessarily. But I grew up with the understanding and expectation that if I did everything I could, you know, if I had enough faith, uh, God would God would fix me. Um, so I figured the best way to show God you know, demonstrate my faith would be to fulfill my church callings, pay my tithing, uh, go on a mission, you know, later get married. I did everything I could, uh, hoping that, you know, with the hope and expectation that that God would, would cure me or, or fix me somehow. Mm. And ultimately, you know, the after after a divorce and um, whatever, I ended up becoming suicidal myself simply because uh, I couldn't I couldn't live my life as I was um, as a male, uh, and so that's when I finally. Uh, sorry, this is a little difficult to talk about, but um, 
that's when I finally decided to try a, a, a different approach because, you know, time after time, you know, fighting it, fighting against it, you know, the end of the road, the end of that road was uh, was suicide for me. And that's when I decided to approach the situation differently and, and begin to transition. And uh, I've been on hormone replacement therapy now for about two months. And I've been on and off antidepressants throughout my life. I've been in and out of therapy, um, you know, traditional therapy. And the only thing I can say is that after, you know, two weeks being on the the estrogen and the testosterone blockers, I've those feelings of anxiety and stress and depression have all lifted. It's done more for me than any amount of, you know, any any concoction of antidepressants or or therapy has ever been able to to do for me. It's been it's been wonderful. I feel like I can. I don't know. I, I guess this is what normal life is like. I finally know what it's like to be happy. It's it's amazing. It, it sounds like the the this, I guess this crisis and overcoming it, it, it has been somewhat recent for you. Yeah, um, it was about two years ago that I finally decided to start, you know, to start transitioning or just to let it go and see where see where it it took me. So the first step was it you know coming you know coming to the acceptance that yes this is the way my life is going to be that there's a lot of things I don't understand about religion I don't understand about God um you know and he may yet heal me I don't know there I I'm to the point now where I don't feel like there's anything to heal um this is just the way he made me and there's nothing wrong with that. Otherwise, he would have fixed me. I, th- I think I, I honestly believe that if there was anything to to fix, he would have done it by now. Hmm. Um, and so, that's when I, you know, so about two years ago is when I decided to just live my life and stop stressing out so much about my situation and trying to change that. Um, and once I came to that exception or acceptance, uh, is is when my life really started to come together. Um, I started uh, performing at work a lot better, got promotions. Uh, my social life has taken off. Um, it's It's been amazing. I'm in a position that I never thought possible. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, two years ago, two, two and a half years ago, I never would have thought that I'd have friends that I could hang out with as Rebecca. It's It's been amazing. What uh, what was the attitude of your friends, family, those around you when when you were going through this, when you were making this decision? It was tough for them. Uh, it, it still is tough. Um, I've got some friends that won't come out and say it. I don't know exactly what they're thinking, and maybe they're just caught up in their own daily lives. I can't really speak for them, but I feel like I've lost a lot of my friends from before, you know, from high school, from from college. Um, because of this transition, uh, I, I know that it's been extremely difficult on my family uh, for a long time. I wasn't even able to go to my parents' house uh, dressed as a woman. You know, they asked me to, to continue to dress like a man if I came to their house. Um, things are slowly changing, but uh, it's it's been a challenge, and rightfully so. Uh, you know, they're, they're, I'm 33 years old, so for the last... 30 you know some odd years they've known me as as a boy um or as a man and that's that's a tough transition where where are you now with regard to to religion belief faith it sounds like you know religion's been important in your life what, well, yeah, where are you now absolutely right now i'm not sure how to answer that question um i've i've got a lot of questions about religion, I've got a lot of questions about God. Um, I do not actively participate in the LDS Church, but it is a very strong part of my culture and my family. And I hope someday to find those answers to, you know, reconcile my personal life with the teachings of the Church. Hmm. 
Dory Burt, uh, I think that some of this will resonate with you. Some will, I guess, find find that they they no longer want to be in the church. Talking about the LDS Church, some may may find they want to to be in the church. Uh, e- either way, but but in any case, uh, people like Rebecca have are going to have family. Yes. In the, in the church. And so there's, I guess, that's where Mormons Building Bridges comes in, in your view. Absolutely. Um, Mormonism is a religion. It's also a very strong culture. And like Rebecca was saying, um, she served a mission, did all these different things. And I would imagine their family get-togethers are still full of, you know, Mormon lingo and talking about callings and things like that. And so the culture of our of Mormonism really is strong as well. And so when a child or a member of the family, sometimes a father, sometimes a mother, is cut off from that relationship or even lessened, you know, and I don't want to say anything bad about Rebecca's parents, but I've heard that many times parents saying, don't come dressed as, you know, come dressed as a boy instead of a girl or vice versa. And that's one of the things that that's one of the behaviors that Dr. Caitlin Ryan and Dr. Reese have, have kind of identified as families need to stop doing that to, to help help their children be healthier and to lessen the chance of suicide and depression. But I also I major kudos to Rebecca also for pointing out that, you know, this is tough for families too. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it takes a while to readjust, I suppose. And I've heard mm-hmm. and I've heard so many times. I can't even count how many times I've heard people who are transgender or or gay or lesbian say. You know, I pled with God. I prayed. I, I did. I, you know, I made these pacts with God. If I go on a mission, will you change me? I mean, I've heard it so many times. I can't. I really cannot even count in the in the dozens of times. Just in the the short amount of time that I've been involved in this. Mm-hmm. So I think that's normal. For I mean, I think it's normal for people to have those reactions. But yet, if we if we start having um, treating people that we know who are LGBT, by not making them feel like they need to change, then they don't need to start pleading with God. Mm-hmm. They they can accept that, you know, I really am a child of God. I am this particular child of God, and this is how I was made. Mm-hmm. Rebecca Taylor, uh, we're going to take a big break, and then when we come back, we'll uh, we'll be talking with uh, Rachel Smith, pseudonym for a, a BYU student who identifies as, as uh, bisexual. I'm interested, uh, Rebecca, you, you talked about your parents, and there, there's an ongoing, I guess, uh, sort of a negotiation or, or acceptance or whatever is happening there. But uh, if, if you look at it from your parents' point of view, I suppose if, if they allow you to come dressed as, as a woman, they might feel that they're going against their beliefs. I think that is very true. Um, in fact, I, I know that's true. I've, you know, I've talked with my dad a little bit. He's kind of the one that is is struggling the most coming to terms with, with the transition. And uh, I think that's exactly it. Um, he needs to, he feels that he needs to set a precedent and lay down the, the law for his house and set an example for his house. And I respect that. Um, it's still difficult mm-hmm. um, because, again, I feel, you know, from my perspective, I feel like my own thoughts and feelings, my own experience is invalid from, you know, I, I, I don't feel validated from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, I, I've been through a lot. And I feel like when I have those, you know, when people when people make those remarks to me or or have those thoughts and feelings, I feel like everything that I've been through is meaningless. Mm-hmm. And I've been through some pretty pretty intense uh, experiences. So, your what is your hope? I, I know you're, you've been involved in some organizing, some events, and, and uh, that sort of thing. What's your sure. what's your hope for the for the Provo Pride Festival? You know, it comes back to to the teen suicide. Um, nobody should ever feel 
repressed to the point that they would consider taking their own lives. There's never a reason for that. And yet here we are. (laughs) I want to show other people, you know, because I grew up feeling alone. I grew up feeling isolated. Um, Where, you know, I, I know that there's other transgender people in Utah, but until about six months ago, I didn't know where they were. Uh, you know, where where is everybody that's going through these similar experiences? Uh, about a year and a half ago, I found the USGA group at, uh, you know, that, that David mentioned, uh, the, of, of BYU students, and, you know, I, I went there and made a lot of friends, and it was—it's been a great experience for me. Um, you know, they're—they're they're considerably, most of them are considerably younger than I am. Uh, and I did find one other person that identifies as transgender. A couple—it was about—I'd been there about a year, I think, before she finally came out as as transgender. Um, and from there, we've—we found other people. Um, so what I'm hoping with Pride is, you know, Provo's ready to come out. You know, we're here. We're just hidden. We feel like we have to be hidden. And there's no reason for that. There's no reason that we need to hide. There's no There's no excuse for it. And so I'm hoping to show other people that may be feeling lost and alone and isolated that they're not. We are here, and we're here for you. We are talking right there with uh, Rebecca Taylor, who's a Utah resident, uh, identifies as transgender. Uh, we have been talking as well with David Pate, president of uh, Provo Pride Council. The uh, Provo Pride Festival, the first one, is happening on September 21st in Provo. And preceding that, this coming Saturday, 10.45 a.m. in Salt Lake City, uh, the Mormons Building Bridges organizations teaming with the organization Out of the Darkness told a suicide prevention walk in Salt Lake City. We're taking the occasion to talk about uh, being a gay, bisexual, or transgendered person in a traditionally conservative area and about suicide among the LGBT community. We're going to take a brief break, and then we'll uh, come back and talk with uh, Rachel Smith. It's a pseudonym for a BYU student who is bisexual. Following the break. On the next Putumayo World Music Hour, we salute a city with a vibrant world music scene, New York. Musicians from Africa, South America, the Caribbean, and beyond all enrich the city's musical tapestry. I'm Dan Storper. And I'm Rosalie Howarth. Join us for World Music in New York, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Friday nights at 10 on Utah Public Radio. And programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Elan Magazine, a bi-monthly artistic celebration of inspirational stories from extraordinary women, defining the Southwest lifestyle through culture, art, and adventure. Information at elanwomen.com. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about uh, living as a gay, bisexual, or transgendered person in a traditionally conservative area. We're talking about Utah as a whole, and specifically Utah County, one of the most conservative areas in the nation. Uh, Well, as uh, Rebecca uh, Taylor told us before the break... She's a Utah resident who identifies as transgender. She said uh, Utah County is ready. So I guess we're about to find out. A historic moment on September 21st. The LGBT community is holding the first Provo Pride Festival on that day. We're talking with David Pate, who's a UVU student and president of Provo Pride Council. It was Dory Burt, who's a member of Mormons Building Bridges. That organization is teaming with the organization Out of the Darkness to hold a suicide prevention walk in Salt Lake City. That's 10.45 a.m. in Salt Lake City. And where do people meet? Sugar House Park. Uh, Sugar House Park is where to meet for that. That's this coming um, Saturday. Uh, and uh, we've been talking with Rebecca Taylor, as I mentioned, Utah resident who identifies as transgender. We bring in now a uh, bisexual BYU student. First, to go by the pseudonym Rachel Smith. Welcome to the program, Rachel. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, so you identify as bisexual? Yes, I do. And you're at BYU? Yes. 
which I guess is why you're using the pseudonym. <laughs> yes, that would be why. Uh, so, I don't, you know, the, the honor code there, um, I, I don't know if it says anything specifically about being bisexual. It, it outlaws any expression of, uh, of sexual activity, but I don't know about uh, identity. Identity is not outlawed by the honor code. Um, really, I'm just protecting myself for my roommate's benefits. I just, there's a lot of confusion about um, same-gender attraction or LGBTQ issues, and they would be some of the ones who I'm not sure if they're comfortable. Hmm. So they don't know, do they? No. Yeah. I have one roommate who I did come out to, and she's fantastic, but hmm. most of them do not know, no. What uh, and imagine so only one at the BYU campus. Have you come out to others, uh, maybe off campus? Um, well, I am a member of the group that both David and Rebecca have mentioned. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. understanding same gender attraction, and so I am out to all of them, and I'm out to several of my family and most of my friends that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. What has been the reaction of the people you've you've come out to? Almost all of them have been incredibly positive. Um, my family took it a little harder than most everyone else, but my family is also more active in the church than anyone else that I talked to. We're talking about the LDS Church. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, what, what? Where do you see yourself in regard to religion at this at this point? I do consider myself a very active, believing Mormon. And um, I'm just making it work. Hmm. Uh, so you're you're involved in, in organizing this. Are you, you going to be attending the the festival and uh, that sort of thing? Yes, I will be. And yes, I have been. I yeah. was actually in that meeting that David talked about, the very first one. So uh, you're in, uh, you might call it the belly of the beast, one of the most uh, conservative areas <laughs> in the country. <laughs> You're going to have a Pride Festival. What uh, What do you think the reaction is going to be? It's. I think the reaction will just be a little bit like it's been right now. It's very mixed, but it's very passionate from either side. We don't have anyone who's just being sort of, eh, I don't care. We have people who are very, very excited about this and are ready for Provo to come out, as Rebecca said. And then we have people who are reacting very negatively. Hmm. What, what would you say the percentages are? Mostly positive response? Minority of uh, um, negative response? The ones response? I've heard have been mostly positive. Mm-hmm. Provo Buzz recently did a, a survey of the community. And 60% were overwhelmingly in favor of the Pride Festival, hmm. of the respondents at least. David Pate, what's the, what's the reaction you've gotten? You've talked to city officials about this. Um, I have talked to city officials about this. And the reaction from the city has pretty much been a non-reaction. Um, we spoke with the mayor and, and, and his deputy. And Mayor Curtis basically said, I honestly... Um, I have some anxiety about this, and uh, I hope that anxiety has to do with the fact that I, I don't know what a Pride Festival is, and I certainly don't know what a Pride Festival in Provo will look like. Um, I hope it doesn't have anything to do with prejudice. Uh, and, and I think that if there's some anxieties in the community in and around Provo, it's that same sort of anxiety, just one of not knowing and encountering something new. And whenever we do that, we have some anxiety whenever we encounter something new. Um, And I think for the most part, um, most of the people in Utah County are good people and they want to do good things, right? And so uh, I think there will be a minority of people um, that, that are against it and unfortunately have malice in their heart. But I think that the majority of, of the county is either uh, very supportive of, of the festival or, or relatively neutral, and their anxiety only has to do with a fear of the unknown. Hmm. Uh, 
Rachel Smith, I wonder, you say you're not out to your roommates, and it's for, you know, for some specific reasons. I wonder what their reaction mm-hmm. would be if you did come out to them. Um, well, I'm not sure. Honestly, I'm just being a little chicken about not coming out. Um, usually, like with the roommate who I did come out to, she was completely understanding, and she had no fear or anything. But I guess I'm just worried about because we are roommates, you know, we do change in front of each other, like in the locker room or we sleep in the same room. And some people have a misunderstanding of what it's like to grow up with these feelings your whole life. And uh, you're, you're on the BYU campus there. That's, I mean, again, a you know, very conservative place. Yes. You, you, yes. Uh, it's actually um, getting a lot better. Like, we think that BYU Provo is really starting to understand the community a little bit more. I know that um, people know about USGA. It is not um, an official club, but it is understood and people are accepting. We recently held a, a forum, I guess you could say, and the room that it was hosted in was filled to overcapacity. It was a fire hazard because so many people want to understand our situation better. Like Dave just said, this area is full of people who are very good and they want to be better people. They want to be the best they can. They just don't understand. We just have a couple minutes left, so maybe final comments from, from uh, uh, Rebecca Taylor. What, what's, what's next for you on, on your journey? Who knows? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just take it one day at a time. Um, you know, my my kids need me as a as a father, and uh, so my main goal is just to get myself in a position where I can be the best possible parent for them. And uh, like I said, hopefully with the the Provo Pride, it'll raise awareness and 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 help other people. Uh, I'd like to continue to be on the on the Pride Council and get ready for next year. Mm. Uh, David Pate, you're, are you already looking forward to next year as well? Uh, I am. Um, I'm really excited about next year. I think all of us who are organizing are going to take a couple of weeks as a breather. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I am looking forward to next year. Uh, give us details of where to go if people want to find out about the Provo Pride Festival. Yeah, uh, just go to www.provopride.org or www.facebook.com slash provopride. All right. And uh, Dory Burt, uh, details again on this activity that Mormons Building Bridges and Out of the Darkness is holding in Salt Lake City this coming Saturday. This Saturday at 1045 at Sugar House Park. Anybody who would like to come down and join us, please do. We'll be wearing a lot of it. Most of us will be wearing our Mormons Building Bridges T-shirts. Um, we want our large visual presence to convey pretty much two things. We want it to say to people who have lost a loved one who maybe had their neighbors or their ward members turn their backs on them and doesn't ask about their child or pretend that it doesn't, didn't, that child didn't exist or the suicide didn't happen. We want to provide some level of comfort there just visually. And we want our large presence also to maybe say to someone who's contemplating suicide, we care about you. We want you here please stay. And um, there was one person who gave an anonymous $100 donation. And they, can I, can I share really quick what they wrote? They wrote a note that says the struggle and this message is for, um, you know, not, not those of us who are walking, but those of us who are those people who are, who are struggling and, and thinking about suicide. So with their $100 donation, they wrote, The struggle you're in today is developing your strength for tomorrow. Don't give up. Someone may need your strength. Dory Burt with Mormons Building Bridges. Thank you so much. We've also been joined by Rachel Smith, a pseudonym for a bisexual BYU student. Thank you. And uh, Rebecca Taylor, Utah resident who identifies as transgender. We appreciate you being on the program. And uh, David Pate, who is president of uh, Provo Pride Council. Thank you to everyone. Uh, and uh, coming up tomorrow, one of our most requested uh, repeat programs and a fascinating story, historical novel based on a true event, uh, a, a black uh, midwife in a small town in southern Idaho 
And upon her death, it was uh, found out that she, she was a man. She had been uh, posing as a woman all those years as a midwife in that small town. Mother George is the book. Lee Cantwell is my guest, and that's coming up tomorrow. Uh, for Bennett Purser, my producer, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks so much for listening today. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the magazine Edible Wasatch, encouraging readers to explore regional food systems by voting with their forks. Information and copy location information is at ediblewasatch.com. KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KUSU FM HD1 Logan. From Public Radio International, this is Living on Earth. I'm Steve Kerwood. As Japanese authorities plan to freeze the Earth around the wrecked Fukushima reactors to contain radioactive water, experts say some U.S. nuclear facilities could be just as vulnerable to a similar catastrophe. There are a few dozen plants on rivers or lakes which are vulnerable in the event of a dam failure to being flooded in a very short period of time, as happened in Fukushima. Also, science has found out why some fish are more likely to contain the more toxic form of mercury. But when it forms near the surface of the ocean, sunlight breaks down the methylmercury back to its common form and therefore essentially detoxifies it. But deeper in the ocean, where there is no sunlight, this process doesn't take place. That and more this week on Living on Earth. Stick around.